Hello everyone and welcome to Six Pack of Facts, a weekly way of expanding your brain. Six refreshing facts at a time. My name is Alex and this week is the last episode of Six Pack of Facts for a while. 52 episodes. That means someone starting today could listen to an episode every week for a full year. And that is something I am pretty proud of because I started this a little over a year ago. Uh, I didn't quite hit every week. Life finds a way to get in the way. You know what I mean? But I did pretty damn good, I think. Pretty darn good, if any of my nephews are listening. And I'm really proud of that. And I'm really thankful for everybody who has listened to the show over this full year. Uh, I've gotten a lot of great comments and great feedback and great support from the listeners. And that means a ton when you're doing a project like this, because sometimes when you're in a room recording by yourself, it can feel uh, a little suffocating. And I just want to extend a huge thank you to everybody who has said anything nice and kind about the show and that they've enjoyed it and it's been entertaining. Thank you so much. It's been a joy to do this show, and I hope I can bring it back in some form in the future. But we can't spend the entire episode going over these ooey-gooey, gushy-mushy, emotional goodbyes, although it's not really a goodbye. At least I hope not. We still have an episode to do, and I picked a couple of very cozy topics because we're getting into the holiday season, and I'm starting to feel very cozy and homey, and I want to bake cookies and make hot cocoa like every single night. And that is what we're going to talk about. Cookies and hot cocoa. So let's get into it for the last time for a while. Here we go. I'm going to take a look at three distinct types of cookies here, and we're going to start with one that is a stone-cold classic, Oreo. Or is it Hydrox? In 1908, a company called Sunshine Biscuits released Hydrox, a dark chocolate cookie with cream in the center sporting a very fetching floral pattern. The name is a portmanteau of hydrogen and oxygen, and it's supposed to indicate the product's purity, which is a stretch even for early 1900s marketing. Oreo hit the market four years later, but didn't take the cookie crown for decades. Marketing shots were fired from both Sunshine Biscuits and Oreo producer Nimbisco, but ultimately Oreo came on ahead in the 1950s thanks to a redesign and a new ad campaign. Sunshine Biscuits closed its doors soon after, and the Hydrox brand was bounced around to various companies before eventually being removed from store shelves entirely in 2001. But the OG chocolate and cream cookie rose from the ashes in 2015 thanks to Leaf Brands. Calling attention to the cookie's use of sugarcane instead of high fructose corn syrup, Hydrox sales shot up 2,406% from 2016 to 2017, with a total of more than $492,000 in sales. Of course, Oreo raked in around $674.2 million in sales during the same time frame, so Hydrox still has some ground to make up. 
Fortune cookies are not a Chinese creation. The little vanilla-y treats given to cap off a meal have much deeper roots in 19th century Japan and 20th century America than anything Chinese. As far back as the 1870s, confectionery shops in Kyoto sold a cracker shaped much like the fortune cookies of today, containing a small piece of paper with a fortune on it. These Tsujiura Senbei, or fortune cracker, were larger and made with sesame and miso instead of vanilla and butter. Japanese immigrants brought the fortune cracker to the United States during the 1880s and 1900s after the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 left a need for cheap labor on the West Coast. But Americans of the time weren't into the idea of eating raw fish, leading some Japanese immigrants to open up restaurants focused on Chinese cuisine instead. This, paired with Americans' expectation of dessert at the end of a meal, made fortune cookies a common fixture at these spots. After FDR ordered the awful Executive Order 9066, the relocation and internment of Japanese Americans, Japanese businesses quickly began to close up shop. This gave Chinese Americans an opening to produce and sell fortune cookies, and the association has stuck ever since. But again, fortune cookies have nothing to do with China. Like, at all. So munch and enjoy them after a tasty meal, but definitely don't use them as shorthand for Chinese culture. And now for a bit on what I consider the be-all end-all holiday cookie. Gingerbread. The oldest gingerbread dates back thousands of years, from ancient Greece in 2400 BCE, 10th century China, and finally European recipes in the Middle Ages. At that time, the tough cookies were sometimes gilded with gold leaf and shaped like animals, kings, and queens, and were a common treat at medieval fairs in France, England, Holland, and Germany. The elegant decorations were sparked by Queen Elizabeth I, who came up with the idea of decorating the cookies in the same fashion as visiting dignitaries, which is a strangely posh origin for something that feels so homey and heartwarming, but I digress. On the last cookie-related note of the episode, before refrigeration was developed, crumbling gingerbread was added to recipes to mask the odor of rotting meat. And that is pretty gross. Now that we're all filled up with sweet treats, it's time to get a little cozy. Let's drink some hot cocoa. The Mayans were drinking a form of hot chocolate as early as 500 BCE, but it definitely wasn't the sweet drink we slurp down today. Ground up cacao seeds, cornmeal, water, chili peppers, and other ingredients gave the concoction an identity all its own. In the 1500s, the brutal conquistador Hernán Cortés brought cacao beans back to Spain. The drink still wasn't sweet, but it found popularity with the royals and upper class. Once it gained traction in Spain, it started to be served hot, sweet, and without the chili peppers. The Spanish loved the drink, and it shows. It took more than 100 years to spread beyond Spain. In the 1700s, hot chocolate made its way to London and became the hottest huh, trend in the city's chocolate houses, establishments that were like coffee shops today. 
Near the end of that century, Hans Sloan, the president of the Royal College of Physicians, brought a recipe for mixing milk with chocolate back from Jamaica. The milky edition made the beverage palatable to a much wider range of people, and it was enjoyed as an after-dinner drink. The next time you have a cup of hot chocolate, raise your glass to Conrad van Houten. In 1828, the Dutch chemist patented his method of removing most of the cocoa butter from processed cacao. Untreated cocoa mass contains about 53% cocoa butter. Van Houten's hydraulic press method got that number down to around 27%, making it much easier to pound the mass into a fine powder, aka cocoa. To make the powder mix easier with liquid, Van Houten treated it with alkaline salts, a process that's now known as dutching. Dutch processed cocoa has a neutral pH instead of the acidic natural cocoa. So, when you bake with baking soda, sodium bicarbonate, an acid should be added to help balance the pH. Baking powder, on the other hand, is already acidic, so no additional acids need to be added. In 2013, 300 students came together at the Museum of Science and Industry in Tampa Bay to brew up a massive pool of hot cocoa that included 1,100 pounds of cocoa and 87 gallons of powdered milk. To top it all off, the kids even shot marshmallows into it with catapults. How's that for heartwarming? And that, my friends, is a wrap. Thank you very much for listening to these 52 episodes, or however many you've listened to. If it's not all 52, go back and enjoy them, because there's 52 of them now. But even if you just listen to one, thank you so much. This has been an incredibly fun project to do, doing all the research and learning all the facts and putting all the shows together. It's been a joy, and I thank you for coming on this little adventure with me. Again, I hope Six Pack of Facts will come back in some form. Maybe they'll be rejiggered to a different format. Maybe they'll stay the same. Maybe they'll find a home somewhere. I do not know the future of the show, but I hope it's going to come back and rise from the podcast ashes in some grand fashion to be very, very dramatic and over the top. Thank you very, very, very much for listening. It has been a pleasure. And with that, my name is Alex. And as always... Stay thirsty. Can't get enough of these refreshing facts? There are three easy ways you can help support the show. If you're listening through Apple Podcasts, leave a quick review. Then, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Then, share the show with a friend. The more, the factier. Stay thirsty.